Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to 99 Potions, FanMate's premier RPG podcast, where we talk about RPGs. I'm Natalie Flores, a featured contributor of FanBite.com, the best gaming website on the planet. And with me today is one managing editor, Steven Strom. Hello. Hello. Thank you for giving me so much extra time to watch this great RPG called Call of Duty Vanguard out on <laughs> November's, according to this um, watching on opening night live. Yes, listeners, we are recording as Gamescom is starting. You might even be welcome to call us, um, you know, your traditional RPG heroes who commit necessary sacrifices for the good of the general population. That's us right now, sacrificing, um, watching call of duty and saints row and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. marvel's avengers or something or whatever the fuck is happening there wow um, <laughs> wow natalie oh wait oh god my mic fell y'all sorry <laughs> <laughs> well that was the voice of one mike williams of fanbite.com uh, <laughs> Hello, I'm Natalie Flores. Welcome to another episode. Of I, I, I think that was just karma for for what she just said. That was, that was instant karma. I'm so sorry to Call of Duty. <laughs> A good name for this episode. I'm sorry to Call of Duty. That, uh, that laugh you heard also. Yes. Oh. Oh. Wait. Yeah, are you still getting Natalie? If you're still getting set up, I'm just gonna no, say that I, we are also joined by one help. Kenneth Shepard, friend of the site, Fr- friend of the site, friend of the place that I work at. <laughs> <laughs> okay, listen. All right. Okay. First of all, the first voice that accused me of receiving instant karma as Mike Williams, newly a part of Fanbyte.com. Everyone, yay! Say, um, happy joining us. Hello. 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 Yay. Oh, and then the other person was <laughs> Kenneth Shepard. <laughs> I, like I didn't mean it like that, but I was adjusting my microphone because of our producer's notes in the background. That the other person, my lovely, wonderful gay brother in arms, Kenneth Shepard. Uh, ex- fan by extraordinaire staff writer uh, king, yeah, sure. king Cover it up of gay as best you can. people can't see this on the audio version um, if you're watching the video that we definitely do uh, Natalie just drew a third arm so she could throw an extra hand just in any direction <laughs> Ken how are you today uh, also just, Mike how are you today I'm just I'm doing great like this has been a really great uh, tone setter for the rest of the show that we got today for sure yes, I, I'm doing yes. very well especially now that uh, Ken is apparently the other person, so yeah. Like, 
Michael Daniel suddenly <laughs> on the other guy. Joined fanbite. <laughs> yeah, Mike just joined fanbite. Um, but that's that's the energy that we have going on here. Surely it's because we are missing one illustrious John Warren, head of stuff at fanbite.com. Wow, okay. You found a way to make <laughs> Kenneth come out good in this. Uh, that's what I do, you know? That's that's what a, a an aspiring good host does. Um, John is at the International Space Station this week, so we brought on Kenneth and Mike, who will surely have lots to talk about with us on this, I was going to say this week's, this month's episode of News Quest. As uh, longtime listeners know, or if this is your first time listening to 99 Potions, welcome aboard. Um, every month we do a News Quest episode, which is the episode at the end of the month where we round up all the RPG news that happened in this month and we give our thoughts and opinions because God knows if there's a very opinionated gaming website, it's fanbyte.com, isn't it? And we brought two of, I think, probably who are now at least in the top running for the most opinionated people <laughs> on the site. So true, so true. So let's see. I want to throw it to... Actually, no, I'm going to throw it to Stephen Strong. Um, what do you What do you want to start with? I'm going to throw it to Mike to be like our honorary, you know, newly inducted like guest or whatever. But um, that might be a lot of pressure. So I'll, I'll hit Mike with the second one. Um, Stephen, is I'm, there something that you want to start with today? We have a long list of news this August. It's pretty packed. Yeah, there's so much to talk about. I did for a moment there think that you were going to say, I'm going to throw it to myself because I want to talk about blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um. No, I'm being a good house today. I'm behaving, especially because of- my mic issues have humbled me. <laughs> they are still, they might still be humbled ongoing. Live on air. Yes, Natalie Flores humbled live on air. Natalie Humble Flores, that's what we're always calling you. Yeah. Um, always famous. Well, uh, you know what? I'll pick a topic right off the, the bat because I think this is something that um, I, I see some stuff on here that is very much Natalie and Kenneth fodder. And I want to start off with something that is both me and Mike to kind of counterbalance that, which is uh, we literally moments before this podcast recording started um, 20 minutes late. Breaking news. Uh, <laughs> breaking news <laughs> at this hour. We have uh, Marvel's Midnight Suns, that Marvel XCOM game that finally has a title by the sounds of it. Uh, they just showed it at opening night live, and it's a f- free rendered trailer. I was supposed to say <laughs> it's a free rendered trailer. It. Like, yeah. Uh, uh, so it is Midnight Suns. That is Suns with a U. Uh, it is based on Midnight Suns. That is Suns with an O, the Marvel Supernatural team thing, which is usually like Blade, Ghost Rider, and, you know all those dudes dr strange yeah dr strange is there sometimes uh but of course this is marvel so they 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 really need that draw so they put iron man and uh yep. and wolverine in there and captain marvel just to you know fill that out and, and then even famous supernatural heroes <laughs> and then even above that like the main character is apparently a character you create uh it'll be interesting to see how this works because part of the magic of XCOM is throwing your creative characters into the fray and watching them die horribly, usually yeah. as their name, <laughs> named and patterned after your friends and family. 
So uh, is this is this the kind of thing where like Wolverine, like you're gonna send Wolverine in first, and then he's gonna miss uh, the strike that had like a ninety percent <laughs> chance to hit, and then his morale is gonna drop, and Wolverine is gonna run from battle before he gets shot in the back and dies. I I don't know. Probably not is my guess. Like it's actually kind of somewhat worrying to me is because like you said, like so much of the magic is in the like the risk reward, the disposable nature of your units, but also like the reward of watching them grow over time into something totally unique to you because you customize them um, both mechanically and visually. And when people were originally talking about this in rumors, which those rumors have been circulating for a number of weeks now, it was talking, it sounded like you were basically going to be assembling a full team of made up characters and that, well, they're all made up characters, but a full team of unique characters and that these other characters would maybe show up as like NPCs or something. But it seems like based on what we've seen so far, you make one unit that is your character. And then it's just like, yeah, you're sending Wolverine and Iron Man out there. And, I don't know. Um, uh, the the last shot that they showed in the trailer had some, like, the main creative characters, some Marvel characters, and then characters I couldn't actually sort of tell who they were. So right. I wonder if there is a larger creative character component, but for your pre-rendered trailer, you want to... You want Wolverine up front with his grimace face, like, Wolverine, what are you doing? Come on, man, calm down. He's upset. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's upset. Uh, I, I'm not saying I'm upset. I will just say, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious because this is going to be like XCOM is not necessarily a game that is like, it's not hard hardcore. It's not a paradox Crusader Kings type thing, but it is like not necessarily super super accessible all the time. It is very scary to a lot of people the idea of permadeath on that stuff. And so I, the first thing I think when like oh seeing all those big characters in there is like they're going to make they want people who are you know mom and dad and like you know twelve year olds to be able to like pick this up and not be too afraid to lose characters and not get frustrated and lose things. So I'm wondering like not to say like oh it's going to be too casual or something like that, but I do. I do worry that it's going to lose some bite from XCOM uh, in the mix. At the same time, I would love it if one of the other theory that I've been hearing a lot about with the video game stuff is that part of the reason that um, Disney has been like pushing this multiverse stuff so much is that it gives them almost like this. What DC has actually kind of been doing in movies and TV for a while now just didn't put a name on it, which is just like. I don't know. It's it's a different show than the other show. People can die in this one that are still alive in the other one. It doesn't really matter that much. It's all basically a multiverse anyway. And now that they've been pushing this multiverse stuff with Loki and now this new Spider-Man movie, there's been talk about like how they're maybe going to start framing the video games as all part of the same connected multiverse of like Marvel stuff, which narratively would theoretically give people wiggle room to be like, no, Wolverine can die in this game and your Wolverine just might die in your run. And that's just kind of how it works. But Wolverine is still alive in the movies because it's a different Wolverine. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure I'm sure they- I'm sure they gotta at least have permadeath as a title, right? Like, it's such a, like, I don't play with permadeath on, because who who wants uh, people to always that, unless I'm doing a... Yeah. (laughs) Unless I'm doing a... I'm with you, Mike. A version of the game (laughs) where, like, I'm, I'm purposefully throwing friends, like, characters made after friends into it to see who dies, which I have done, but generally I don't like to play with permadeath. <laughs> um, 
So like they gotta at least have a toggle, but you know it's it's gonna hurt souls like just to see like okay. Iron Man go down and just like, well, that's the end. Iron Man's never gonna help us. He died, his soul is consigned to hell. I am seeing one uh Cat Bailey, actual friend of the site, Cat Bailey, talking out there about like a lack of permadeath. So it sounds like maybe it won't have permadeath um she is saying lack of permadeath is already one of the main talking points as expected it was described as fast paced and kind of an inversion of the classic survival horror like vibe of XCOM. so i'm interested to see what that means for the actual attack oh see see and and i i I don't know if we're supposed to to talk about but but yon producer mentioned mario plus rabbits which is also an excellent XCOM like game uh with characters that can't die uh, but it's very fast-paced and still actually tactical. I actually love Mario plus Rabbids a lot. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is Firaxis. <laughs> I want a certain <laughs> thing from them. Maybe this won't be for me, even though I'm a Marvel fan and also a Tactics fan. But we'll see. See what happens. I'm amazed by folks like you who play games with permadeath as an option because, like, like I'm thinking about Fire Emblem Three Houses and how you can just get people permanently killed in that game and Mm -hmm. that gave me so much anxiety like i did not ever turn on that option so shout outs to y'all who are brave enough to do that like just play games with permadeath death as like a permanent consequence what the (laughs) fuck uh one last question before we move on to the next topic where more people can maybe um jump in but do you think mike that their iron man mode will be called iron man mode or will they change it no it'll be called iron man mode just like it was before <laughs> yeah no saves that's you very just, funny like yeah they gotta have some of that in there yeah amazing all right so then since we have a very clear line between the parties on this podcast right like y'all were talking about XCOM and Marvel and all that shit and Ken and I are just in the (laughs) background like bimbo and himbo literally (laughs) what is happening right now so I think what we're gonna do is that we're gonna do a little back and forth first we had a Mike Steven joint and now we're gonna move on to a Ken and Natalie thing and then we're gonna move on back to Mike and Steven so Ken I throw it to you oh the pressure Mm, yes. like, what do you want to talk about honestly there are like three or so things we have on this list that could be like good things for us to talk about um do you want to start with the lighter one which is not going to get into like some of the more uh extremely online discourse and want to talk about pokemon because i'd love to talk about pokemon right yes i i put a lot of pokemon in there because i i knew you were coming on mm. and i was like there's literally no way that we can't talk about pokemon for a good while without you know when Ken is here. So let's do that before we wade into um, the intricacies of being online and queer discourse and video games, right? So let's do Pokemon. There was a lot of Pokemon that we saw. There was a lot of Pokemon, which was all right by me. Always a big fan of, like, I I get more excited for Pokemon Presents than I do general Nintendo Directs, because that's just kind of like where my loyalties lie on Nintendo side of things. And um, Mm -hmm. they're remaking my, like, one of my favorite games of the whole series. So, like, that it was a... um, it was a major pillar of the presentation with brilliant diamond and shining pearl. Um, 
That game my really favorite good. of the series. Oh, yeah. One, one, one brain first cell one. that we've had I know. That, this one is for the gays. Yep. Yeah, I play, I started with Diamond. Um, I had a crush on a boy in fourth grade and he was playing Diamond. And I, in my entire life, up until that point, my like nine years of life or something, I was like, Pokemon's fucking stupid. <laughs> and then I saw him playing and I was like, Pokemon might be kind of lit though. So then I started playing and I remember he was in the early parts of it. Joke's on me. I'm the clown. I ended up super obsessed with it. And so I, I absolutely just, you know, like he was still at that point by the time that I got to the... Ooh, the the Pokemon League. I was gonna call it the Ivy League. No, no, the, the Elite Four. <laughs> the Elite, yeah, the Elite Four. I was already there. I was, and then I decided to play early every single game before that, and stuck with the series for a few years. I've weaned, I've like gone off of it for a little bit, mm. but uh, seeing this makes me so excited. Diamond is still my favorite. Uh, I also played Pearl from start to finish. I adore just that game in general. Mm. Um, I would say it's definitely my favorite along with Black and White. Um, I love Piplup, seek Piplup Remain. Mm. That's my favorite Pokemon. Um, not because I named my first Piplup Natalie, because I didn't know how it functions, oh but because Piplup is hey, so cute. <laughs> just for just a reminder and, and for the two people on this show who may have missed this, Natalie, when uh, playing Pokemon for the first time, didn't know how Pokemon worked. No. So named her trainer Natalie and then named all of her Pokemon Natalie as well. So she was Natalie playing Natalie. No, no, only, only the Piplup. Only the, oh, okay. Yes. And, and I didn't actually, the funny thing is that I did not know whether it was a female or male Piplup. And I only realized that there were like the little gender signs until like, later on in the game so i was like well that would have been really unfortunate if like <laughs> i had a male pebble but i named it natalie so i it's it's wild but mm. yeah i just my first pokemon just yeah. my first the other ones i was too lazy so well i, I mean that's valid i, I think anyone games. who names the pokemon like other things is fucking weird to me because i just never do that yeah um, right? anybody, and then like i don't i don't know why people do it i don't like why that they say their names to you. You don't need to give them a new one. Um, right. Yeah. So like Diamond and Pearl, I mean, it wasn't my first because I'd been by that point, I think I was in eighth grade when it finally came out. And so like, I'd been just been playing through my whole life. And so I went through like a bunch of stages where I personally was not like, oh, Pokemon stupid. But like I had to like go through my friends growing in and out of it constantly. And um, yeah, Diamond and Pearl <laughs> was probably, I think, the like the most like hyper fixated I had ever been on the Pokemon world ever so and this also has like a mm. lot of my um a lot of my favorites like the trailer that they were showing like had like five of my six like quote-unquote canon party in it so i'm very excited to see all of them again um on a switch and especially because like they are like when they first showed off brilliant down and shine pearl i like they got the sense that like it was a very true to the original remake where it didn't seem like they were going to be doing even a lot of stuff that you see them do with like the um omega ruby and alpha sapphire remakes that they did so but this later showcase was a lot more showing that it was a bit more modernized like one of the things that uh really stood out to me is like oh they're bringing uh character customization back which is um, very exciting to me even though like i do have like a very specific image of dawn who is like the the female player character uh in this game yeah. in my head who uh, is probably like my favorite player character that before they yeah. got like you know where they got like more um modular and like you could just kind of like make them 
into yourself basically um but yeah that was cool to see uh they added some they added like a rhythm game to the uh the contest yes kind of cool um that's- the contest was so good in the original like i loved that fashion stuff it was so yeah. cute I, I always just like my favorite things that happen in the pokemon universe are when they do things that aren't about pokemon battling and like i just get like a mm. different vision of that world and like culture and like traditions that they have and that i mean that would actually like kind of easily segue way us into the next game which is pokemon legends arceus which is going to be a completely different time period before any of that shit became like what we know about the universe and so i'm all sorry sir arceus yes i was stunned i thought it was arceus but i listened to the presentation yesterday and i specifically wrote it on the doc because i was like i'm gonna forget but it's pronounced arceus well there's like never consistency because like even in detective pikachu like when Ryan Reynolds says sweet mother of Arceus, it's like, that's oh. like, so huh. it just kind of seems like whatever Nintendo feels like at the moment is what they're going to call <laughs> the, the creator of this universe. I hate it. I should have just kept it to Arceus. But yeah, that, that one looks really cool. It's, it takes place in the Hisui region, region, which eventually becomes the Sinnoh region. Um, we didn't mention it, but Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl are both coming out on November 19, and Pokemon Legends Arceus is coming out on January 28th. So they are pretty close mm-hmm. to each other, just a little over a month between the two, and Pokemon fans be eating well soon. Mm-hmm. Like, They've been I, eating well all year. I, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to see it. I'm, I'm a big open world fan, so Pokemon mm-hmm. finally... Casting free of the shackles of what it is and becoming mm-hmm. truly open world uh, is exciting, but also terrifying because Pokemon is always inherently terrifying because you send these children out to battle these things. And now the Pokemon in the trailer, the Pokemon can actually hit you. Like, yes. Yeah. Why are you putting a child into a situation where it's fighting a god that can summon lightning from the sky? What are you doing with your world? <laughs> There's a Pokemon that they showed. Um, I can I don't know if you remember the name, but it's it's one that uh, I think it eats human souls or something, or like it consumes souls. That's every Pokemon. <laughs> and it oh. goes, no, it was um. Oh, what the fuck? It's a new Pokemon. I'm forgetting its name. The water it's, one. Yeah. It's like yes, it, it consumes of- its own souls. Yes. Yeah, like yeah. It cons- it's like made out of the like souls Buscalooner of like other ones that died, like trying to like swim upstream or some shit. Yeah, it's like one of those, that's like, real know, shit. It's, it's always the thing with Pokemon. Like you start to like look at like the actual minutia of how this world works, and it gets very questionable. Like yes, we are sending children out to do these like really dangerous uh, <laughs> research missions and going out into the wild where like yeah, like and then this one like they they you can actually like. No, I don't think you can actually, like, fight with other Pokemon, but, like, they can hit you. Like, they can attack you specifically and not your Pokemon. And it's, like, right. kind of, like, contending with, like, the actual state of this world in a way that the series doesn't always do. Um, I got bitch-slapped by the Hisui version of the Growlithe. Just yeah. me on the battlefield getting <laughs> slapped by it. It's, um, it is interesting. Oh, it, like, I... Sorry, you got something. Oh, no, I was... You go ahead, because I have something very important to say that needs its own space. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure you do. <laughs> uh, my thing is, I I don't usually care for open-world bullshit, and I don't know that even in Pokemon that's going to be a whole lot different, Um, just because my general issue is, like, getting around 
massive spaces mm-hmm. um is just kind of doesn't jive with me and most things regardless of whatever region it's in, or region or what the fuck video game it's in um but i do just kind of like that they're like actually taking like some really radical changes and like doing a lot with that formula looks like even the battle system is going from more like from like the round based stuff that they've always done to a more like almost final fantasy 10 style like mm-hmm. turn-based like actual like really turn-based thing that involves like you know timing and speed in ways that a lot of the pokemon games don't um but they often do uh it's just that like, they just hide that stuff from you constantly like they just don't explain like it'll you'll have a move that is like well what this actually does is say uh it is like give you priority so you'll always go first or whatever unless this is happening and then this is mm. happening but then what the actual description of the ability says is makes you act faster right because they just like hide all that weird shit like evs and ivs and weirdness yeah and I, I guess that's like to not overwhelm children who are supposed to like the actual target audience so like i don't need to get like uh into the weeds of all like the meta and stuff like some people do and i think that's kind of like you know a, a source of friction for a lot of people but this does seem to be just making it generally you know, just a little bit more complex and like i that's fascinating to me i don't really know what like there's not any sort of um thing that we can really reference in terms of game freaks output that is similar to this and so it does make it a, a very less exciting. Like it is going to, it's kind of nice to have that juxtaposition between a more standard remake with Diamond and Pearl and something that just kind of actually feels like a proper evolution of the series has been stagnant in a lot of ways for a long time. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, like part of the the problem is is when you're you're that successful, uh, I call it shackles of success. You can't. Th- there's only a, a certain range that you can stray away from what your game is before mm, yeah. your fan base gets really angry so yeah. pokemon legends uh i'm not even gonna try to say the name arceus. uh arceus <laughs> is like like they even called it a spinoff so they can be like look don't worry this is not what pokemon is becoming but mm. maybe <laughs> um, they, can, they can frame it in a, as an experiment that way right yeah like uh what you call it um that Zelda, a link between worlds where it's just like, okay, we'll do a portable one to test out some ideas here. And then it's like, okay, you're okay with us changing the formula a little bit. Okay. Like what if we go bigger with the con- next console mm. one breath of the wild, you know, it uh, doesn't look as good as Skyrim though. <laughs> no. Steven, was that your very important point? That was my very important no. point. That it doesn't look as good as Skyrim. It's got fewer trees for than a game so that came true. out in 2011. It means it looks worse because it takes place in a different sort of biome and has a different kind of gameplay. So it doesn't look as good as Skyrim. <laughs> so true. And doesn't it just absolutely rip off Breath of the Wild and Nintendo's mm. popular? game wow no but actually i did want to ask about that because i'm sure there was absolutely heated discourse on that when this was first revealed Mm. Mm -hmm. um that i absolutely blocked out of my vision just because i needed to preserve my mental sanity um but does does it actually give breath of the wild vibes like does does this game you know like you sort of strike up similarities in the vibes or the atmosphere you know it's not really <laughs> I, I, like like uh, genshin had the same thing genshin impact where yeah. the art style like this sort of painterly light uh not textureless but texture light art style mm-hmm. um 
made people go like, oh, that's Breath of the Wild, even though Genshin doesn't play like Breath of the Wild at mm-hmm. all and doesn't even like sort of look like Breath of the Wild if you play no. it long enough. Um, and I, I think the same thing is happening to Pokemon uh, Legends here uh, in that it, it sort of looks like it, but I think that's just like sort of the, like to build an open world on the Switch, this is what you got to do. And gamers are, are so used to seeing just browns and grays in every other video game that the, the minute they see green, all three <laughs> games that they've seen that look green have to be identical and are just ripoffs mm. of the first game that they saw that had green in it. Yeah. So true. And, and Breath of the Wild is far more systemic in sort of its play, whereas this Pokemon does not look like that. It looks more like, all right, there are Pokemon in these different areas. Sneak up on them, hit them with the Pokeball beat them up with your Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Gotta catch them all. Bury their corpses in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> Don't leave a grave marker. You throw the Pokeball, it hits the Pokemon too hard, it dies, you're just like, <laughs> I'm the only one out here. Dig a hole, throw the body in. Thank you Oops, for there's it. a witness, gotta bribe him with a berry. <laughs> Thank you for indulging me in that question, because it's like you're absolutely right. Like we're so used to seeing the same sort of gritty video games overtaking the landscape that like seeing a bit of green makes people go, Oh my mm. god, it's Breath of the Wild. But I mean Breath of the Wild has clearly impacted so many games in both subtle and uh, not subtle ways that I was wondering just sort of like what the consensus on that was on this podcast. So shall we move on to the next thing? Mike, would you like to choose the next topic? I'm going to pick Tales of Arise. Oh, uh, yeah. Tales of Arise will have uh, crossover costumes from Code Vein. Uh, Tekken and the Idolmaster series. Uh, If you've never played a Tales of game, I've described the entire series as the most anime-ass 7 out of 10 RPG series (laughs) Everyone called it the Hulu of JRPGs when we discussed it. The Hulu original series of JRPGs. It really is. So, like, like, someone was talking, like, that they played the Tales of Arise demo, and they were like, okay, so, like, Am I just missing something? Uh, Or is this, like, lacking impact? And I was like, look, not every RPG series aims for the top end. Some aim right for that middle ground, and Tales of has always been that. Um, Mm -hmm. And I still enjoy it because, like, when I say anime ass, I mean, like, it feeds into all of the anime stereotype tropes in filling out your, like, there's no weird spin on it like just like oh that's the sundere character that's the tactician guy who pushes up his glasses like you know they they feed directly into it um Mm. i think arise they're trying to push the world and visuals a little bit more than they normally do um Mm -hmm. so i hope that works out for them but uh uh crossover costumes because of course all of these anime characters need like cool costumes yay yay um, and other bandai namco games right code vein which is dark souls but anime <laughs> and tekken and idol master i idol master of course so idol master also anime so very anime 
<laughs> right. And I, I agree with you. Like, Tales is a series that I have tried a little bit to get into. I played a bit of Tales of the Abyss. Um, and I've always, it's sort of in my social circles, there's always chatter about these games when they come out. And then they're sort of forgotten utterly after mm. the fact. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I wonder if this will be different. Today, just coincidentally, um, we published a really cool interview with uh, producer Yusuke Tomizawa, uh, conducted by Hiron Cryer. You can read it at fanbyte.com, where he talks about just how we can see this as a reboot that aims to rejuvenate the series. And I, like you said, it's not something that I think will take me by storm yet i i might be even more charmed by it because of that i played the august 18th demo uh that went out on the playstation store i think it was only on the playstation store um and i i loved it i loved it immediately too i was surprised by how much i loved it i was like wait like i didn't have high expectations and I, I can't say I have like earth shattering expectations, but I feel like I'm really going to enjoy this because the combat mm. was fun. The visuals are nice. Um, I, like you said, classic anime uh, character tropes that everyone who is into JRPGs and anime is familiar with. Uh, you can see those tropes already. You have the the beautiful lady with the big shields that is more stoic. You have uh, Dohalim, Dohalim, I believe, actually, um, who's the last character who got their introduction trailer. Uh, he's the beautiful man, the beautiful brown man that has attracted me to this game. <laughs> I adore him. Thank God we have a brown party member um, and he is beautiful. Uh, he's like the the more regal, sort of elegant, a little bit stuck up character. Uh, you have the, the protagonist with amnesia. Like it's all very, it's mm. nothing we have not tread a thousand <laughs> times before, but I'm still charmed by it. I liked the skits. I liked what was going on with the characters and their dynamics. And I'm actually, it's, it's become one of the games I'm most excited to play, which is weird because I was on the fence about it. Um, Mm. The producer talked about how Life is Strange has actually been uh, an influence on the storytelling for this game and how he... Yeah, yeah, because he he says that he loved Life is Strange. He loved its storytelling. And he says that uh, a big focus in terms of storytelling uh, is that he felt that the theme of conflict, domination, and division is becoming more and more important to us every day even in today's world um, mm. and he wants to portray empathy through themes like diversity and mutual understanding forming a message that he hopes will give players the courage to make a more positive difference and tales has always focused on sort of the the relationship between two worlds sort of at war um, so i i wonder how this will actually play out this time around especially as oh. i think we are we are rightfully having more expectations even from games that we and series that we do not expect that much from like the times are changing let's get on with it let's let's say some real shit you know Mm. 
And you can uh, hear about that stuff and how it is handled in the early hours of the game on the uh, full episode we did about Tales of Arise, so I think, yes. from, uh, an episode or two ago. So. Yes, because Steven and Imran both played previews of Tales of Arise. So we have a lot of discussion on that. Um, yeah, what what y'all thinking about Tales of Arise, Steven and Ken? Ken, I don't think you're, you're really into you don't plan to check it out? Uh, I haven't I haven't really paid much attention to it. My I, my relationship with the Tales series is I was like head over heels in love with Symphonia when it came out and then just mm-hmm. kind of never really touched the series again. I did play <laughs> Zillia, but I don't remember large swaths of that game. Um where so like it it's weird like it's one of those things like I kind of like hit and run with it for a long time because like I said, Symphonia was like probably one of my favorite GameCube games uh back in the day. And to the point where it's like, it's almost weird that like I just dropped off the, the franchise as a whole. Mm-hmm. It's one of those yeah. weird things where that happens. Well, like I said, it, it's, it, there have been some really good games, but I'd say it's never been really a great series. It's always yeah. been like every game I've been played, like, oh, this is fun. And then I've literally forgotten it like a month later. Mm-hmm. Um, this one might be a little bit different and it kind of helps that uh, the pandemic happened and everything else mm-hmm. delayed. So now mm-hmm. like Tales yeah. of Arise is like the RPG right. of the latter half this of this season. Yeah. For, for this holiday season, like that's the RPG you got. So maybe that'll help. Mm. As for my thoughts, I think I I'm a, I have very little experience with this series, and I think people can listen to that episode uh, too. But we can maybe move on to another game on this list because this is a really packed list of stuff. So we should probably uh, push through it. I think that is a great suggestion. Uh, let's see what we should talk about next. Um, I guess it falls to me to choose the next topic because I haven't right. Mm-hmm. You're the host, okay. Natalie. You get to, you reality can be whatever no, you want. No, because I don't want to impose on everyone. Okay, so then <laughs> I, okay, so, so if you say so. Um, let's see. Okay, I'm going to pick, can, do we want to do Boyfriend Dungeon Discourse? Let's fucking go. Let's fucking go. Okay, so uh, in August, uh, an RPG that a lot of us have been anticipating called Boyfriend Dungeon came out. And soon after it came out, um, it was met with a bit of controversy um, because essentially what happens is that in this game, you get to date weapons that you take on dungeon excursions. Um, These weapons are very attractive, very cool. I'm still playing through the game, but Valeria is my wife and (laughs) she's precious and I love her. Uh, And Ken, who was your, was his name Jesse? No, that was the cousin. Isaac, Isaac. Jesse's the cousin, right? (laughs) (laughs) Jesse's the cousin is Isaac. Um, And so essentially what has happened is that Part of the main story requires you to engage with a character named Eric, who is at best a really off-putting, offensive, and annoying character, and at his worst is a stalker and a creepy, just general dude. Um, 
And essentially what happens is that when you first boot up this game, there is a content warning that comes up. Or there was one that came up that said, you know, uh, this game uh, features, uh, may include references to unwanted advances, stalking, and other forms of emotional manipulation. Play with care. Um, this content warning, in absolute fairness, was not as adequate as it could have been um, to refer to... Eric generally stalking the player. Um, Ken, you can speak a bit more to this since you've played the whole game and you actually mm. reviewed it for us with a, an incredible headline. Um, <laughs> I recall it was uh, Boyfriend Dungeon Feels Like Just the Tip. Yep. Yes. And so yeah. can you describe a bit more of the actions that Eric takes throughout the game? Because as far as I understand, Eric is part of the main story. Mm. You cannot avoid how you engage with this character that is so off-putting to a lot of people. Right. A lot of it, like, it starts off fairly, uh, I don't know, like, it, it doesn't really show that it's hard, that it is, it is the main plot of the game initially, because it's just, like, you're getting texts from this dude, which you can ignore the text of just about everybody else in, in the game. So, like, that didn't even necessarily occur to me immediately that that was mm -hmm. what the uh, the content warning was Yeah, I just for. ignored him. Yeah, I was just like, <laughs> okay, this is another fucking person on my phone that I can just not read the text of and, you know, hang out with people I want to. Um, then it gets progressively, like, he starts to show up at, like, events that you're at, um, and then it eventually, like, the, I mean, the game's still fairly new, so like we won't get into the specifics of what, how he factors into the actual main plot of the game. But you find out that like some like suspicious things that have been happening were him, and that it's, it's revealed near the end. That that's kind of the nature of his role in the game because he's not like he's kind of presented as like somebody that you can date, but that's not really like in terms of mechanically like that's not the role he plays in the game. Mechanically, he's the antagonist. Yeah, right? and yeah. um, so yeah, I mean like I. I get why that can be like, you know, off-putting to a lot of people, but like I just, because of the way I was engaging with the game when I played it, that it did not necessarily register to me how invasive he might come off to some people. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, the discourse happened after the game came out just a few days later. Um, by August 14th, Kit Fox Games, the developer of Boyfriend Dungeon, had stated that they would update the content warning after the game received some backlash from some folks. It, it, it was, it, it's been really messy, right? right? So like some folks are just, you know, the content warning should be updated to be more accurate. Super fair, mm. super, and I think a good piece of criticism to have. But a lot of that then veered into, well, this character should be taken out of the game, or you should be allowed to toggle on and off the ability to engage with this character at all. Um, in terms of why the content warning was inadequate, uh, the phrase may include references to unwanted advances, stalking, and other forms of emotional manipulation. It's not that it may include, it's that the game does include right. and actually, you know, these aren't references. These are, uh, you are forced to engage with this character as part of the main story. It serves a purpose, but nonetheless, you cannot avoid that. Mm -hmm. um, so now the content warning is a lot more clear about what happens and how you must engage with it in the story. Um, but even after the change, some folks still think that Kip Fox games should have either not 
put Eric in the game at all mm. or, you know, I mean, can allow people, players people to have been giving death threats to the person playing the character. Right, the game, right. right. Um, Tanya this Short. The, in a way that we should we should explain. Right. Uh, Steven, do you want to? Because I know you've also seen the the discourse. I think we've all seen it's been inescapable. <laughs> yeah, I don't I've, I've not kept up on it as much as I think uh, some of you have. I'm actually Kenneth. I thought maybe you might know a little bit more about it. Oh, yeah, I, mean, I, I think like. The, I was kind of surprised that like it continued to escalate in the way that it did after Kit Fox was like, "Hey, we're going to, you know, address the criticism specifically around mm-hmm. the, the content warning." And I, I know I saw some people saying that they need to maybe put that also in like the store description, which I think is also that's that's fair because like if you're not really being made privy to these things until you've bought it and you're you booted it up, then that's you know its own problem. And I'm trying to find it now. I'm like seeing if they did add it to the eShop, right? Because it it became. Mm- it became something that wasn't about Boyfriend Dungeon, right? right. Like, it became about queer games. Mm. It became about games that explicitly tried to be inclusive and diverse and queer and how they are matched up against games like 12 Minutes, which we have an upcoming messy spoiler cast mm. on that I think you all will enjoy. Um you know, we match, uh, those are two indie games that have come out in the same month, maybe like just a, a few days separate from each other. 12 Minutes features a lot of violence, mm. a lot of taboo uh, subjects. Um, there is much more uh, explicit and ex- indecent, mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say, yeah. than, than anything in Boyfriend. Dutch and it has no content warnings, which is fair, but it's it's about the ways in which we the double standard that games that try to be inclusive mm. like Boyfriend Dungeon are matched up against, right? Like, does this mean that a, a colorful game that seems lighthearted and that is dating sim, is it beholden to certain ideas of wholesomeness? Mm. Um, and what's interesting about this is that I think a lot of people have gotten the idea that Boyfriend Dungeon marketed itself as a wholesome game in partly because subconsciously maybe like partly because it it is all of those things right it's a it it has been marketed with humor with memes with mm-hmm. um inclusivity it's you know a, a, di- a diverse cast and made by an indie studio that uh really seems to care about you know the art that they put out into the world and about making it as accessible as possible to people um but it's mm-hmm. just it's it's a lot, right? But yeah. I guess it's it's part of a larger trend in mm-hmm. like a lot of queer culture of that this has been happening a lot lately, not just in video games of like, self policing queer community of mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. largely younger people who think that they are coming oftentimes from a very like a, a pl- good place, but lo- often con- times go mm-hmm. overcorrect super hard into the direction of like outright fascism, using a lot of the exact same arguments about mm-hmm. like indecency and what is what is obscene and what is not um, that right. people that have. Um, literally mm-hmm. policed and brutalized queer people for generations have used against mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. and it sucks. Yeah. And I think yeah. it, it even shows in like some of the language that's often used because like there was like people like weaponizing like the language of like consent, like consenting to these things. And I'm like, you have like, that's not how it works. Like we cannot use language like, about word, word a situation in which you are like, forced. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, like it feels, uh, you know, 
you can just like not play right. the game and that feels unfair to yeah. say but because so much you it's know that fun. exact phrase is used against people on the left when we have criticisms or like just social justice related criticisms mm -hmm. about a game a lot of the time it's just well don't play the game right but the, i think the right. context makes it different yeah. uh, the context of this being a an explicitly you know inclusive game it can always be done better inclusivity can always be better but this is a game that explicitly tries and is sort of put at the stake more for failing in some mm. parts maybe or trying but not doing perfectly enough than games that don't try at all it's, and it's not even just i actually kind of want to hear kenneth on this too mm. a little bit but it's, it's not mm -hmm. just about like being perfect it's that everybody has a different idea of what perfect right. looks like and yes all of them all at once shouting together, say like eventually like hype each other up into this like death threat sort of furor and like say, well, I it, mm. it's not perfect for me. And then the next person says it's not perfect for me either. That means it's bad right. and it's not yeah. it's not good. And it's not just enough for a queer game to be to, to like tick all the right boxes. It's said that it has to tick all the right boxes for every single individual mm. person and is held to an impossible standard each time. And, right. and, and, and as and Stephen, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, uh, you go, Mike. Uh, as Stephen was pointing out, this is actually something that is playing out. Uh, I, I've been mostly quiet because I'll let y'all talk, but it's been happening also uh, in fiction. Uh, novels in a lot of mm. places uh, have been dealing with the same thing, which is that queer creators are putting stuff out and then uh, getting a lot of stress and negative feedback and. Mm -hmm. Uh, and abuse right. and abuse from well actually mostly queer communities mostly, as well yeah, so right. yeah, a so, lot of young mm -hmm. queer people yeah um so yeah it's 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 not just this it's just it's been happening mm -hmm. fairly recently across novels and fiction too right and i think it's something that i even i think i came most to understand this that this was a, a problem like even last year with the last of us part two and i know that's not like a one-to-one mm -hmm. -one comparison with because that is a game made by like hundreds of people and um it's this big budget thing that is maybe holding to like a completely different set of standards and mm -hmm. but there's like this the way that people talk about these things it's not even just like i this did not work for me it's like if you do not view these things or if you're not outraged by these same things does that somehow make you morally deficient in some way because like that yeah. is when when people like use yep. language like consent or like i even saw people that like made comparisons to like you wouldn't tell like a person with a disability not to play a game that was not accessible to them and i was like you those are not fair the they're not fair comparisons they're not like they're like i i don't know like it's it's i genuinely don't really know what the solution is to some of these problems because these are so ingrained in the way that we talk about like queer media generally that like i am mean, like even I'm, I'm sure like something that i probably had to grow out of at some point like i'm sure if i went yeah. back and read like some of my criticism like from like five six seven years ago i would have been like oh you know maybe that was me coming from like that same sort of idea that like oh there is a perfect vision of what a queer experience in a video game in any form mm -hmm. of media should be but like I think the, there there needs to be a point where people realize that like you could, something cannot jive with you, but that does not mean that like it is on the moral impetus of other people to condemn it in the same way. 
you not enjoying a thing is not the same thing as violence. And the yeah. moral deficiency note there is like a very important factor because that is basically that, that is literally the language being used in a lot of cases here. And that has literally also been the language used of, like I said, like literal actual fascist parties that have murdered dead on mass queer people across history. And mm-hmm. the, I think there's an element to it. Like it's a big conversation that we can't get into all of in here, but it is like Mike said, uh, it, it is spread across books, movies, cartoons, Netflix stuff, uh, all kinds of, things all over the place it this is a this is a wave of stuff happening and mm-hmm. i think it largely comes down in in a lot of ways it, it comes down to the fact that like how the destruction of queer history and stuff like that over the decades and whatnot you see this with a lot of different like marginalized communities and stuff like that too but like going back to world war ii there was all kinds of research and writing in europe about trans people and queerness and all of that stuff and a lot of it got literally just burned by nazis and so a lot of folks are you know growing up they're young they don't have a very obvious through line to like what happened in the past and you know like for as much you know obviously the united states was on the other side of that war but like a lot of the but held a lot of the same beliefs and let a lot of that stuff happen a lot of queer people who got killed in as part of the holocaust where it have been erased from history that is a big major problem a lot of that history is gone mm-hmm. and so you have a lot of these younger people growing up in a world where all of this stuff feels new even though it's been happening for centuries and millennia mm-hmm. and then they think like, well, like this is how it is. This is how it has to be. And they can't look back. There's no, there's no tunnel for them to look back into and see like, this is how it happens. This is how it happened in the past. This is night of long knives type shit. There were queer Nazis who um, helped out other Nazis, um, you know, for for the sake of like moral deficiency or whatever. And then were immediately, as soon as no longer, they were no longer useful, were were turned around and killed and stuff like that. And you can see history repeating itself in various ways, not to compare, directly one-to-one compare this to that Mm. but when you do get literally people the voice actor for the character getting people going online to say uh, like to send them death threats and stuff and stuff like that we are getting towards that and just like not even just death threats but just like making statements about his character for playing a character that like does these you are morally deficient for playing this character like yeah Mm -hmm. christ yeah and, and as i tweeted at the time that's that's happened also mm. a lot of cross history like tom felt mm-hmm. pretty much lost he, he said in interviews like yeah i lost my childhood like sort of playing drago malfoy because people just carry that um right. the the lady who played uh skylar the wife in breaking bad mm-hmm. actually did a new york times op-ed like essentially asking like what's wrong with you people like mm. i'm i'm just playing this character right um, joffrey's actor for game of thrones also faced the same thing mm-hmm. I, the evil I forget the name of the character or the, the actress but um, I remember the woman who was like one of the villains in Get Out had a very similar thing yeah mm. uh, Got it. and and you know people like with that line and then that carries over to the actors and the creators and like you no know, like sometimes you write a bad guy and you want the bad guy to do bad things and someone has to portray that and sometimes that's not an endorsement of the thing Right. Yeah, it's like a- Eric is the antagonist in this game. It's not like the game is like, hey, this is a perfectly okay dating option that you can run off into the sunset with, and we endorse this. Right. Like, and part of why that's so disheartening and so difficult that people are like, you can't have this, is because especially in queer media, this is so often the representation of actual lived experiences. This is queer people working through mm-hmm. their pain. They're, it is trying to share with other people like, hey, you're not the only yes. one who went through this. Hey, we're trying to take back some of that 
some power in this by like making you like a cool hero that is working against this by vilifying it in the story. But we need to represent that because that is the experience that we have. This is supposed to mean something. This is supposed to make you feel a kind of way. And and then people say like, but yeah, this there's this breakdown between reality and fiction that people can't overcome all the time. And it's very, very mm-hmm. scary and annoying. Yeah. Before we move on, I'd like to just hit three points that I've been mulling over as we talk about this. Um, one is, um, I didn't get to finish my thought earlier because like, I forget my thoughts like halfway <laughs> through <laughs> when I'm talking about them. Um, but to be clear, Boyfriend Dungeon never marketed itself as a pure, wholesome yeah. game with no conflict. Not once in any of the it's marketing, it, right, was it stated this game will not have conflicts, it will portray dating, but it will only portray the good aspects of dating, uh, of which dating arguably has more bad aspects than good uh, for the average person. Uh, Boyfriend Dungeon, despite its visuals, despite its intent to be accessible and inclusive and diverse, did not market itself ever as not having real-world conflicts. Mm. And I, I hope that people following this can can pay attention to that because a lot of people are saying, you know, the marketing was misleading. They sold us one thing and that's not what the game is. No, the the game never marketed itself as that. The second point uh, uh, from the conversation that we've been having about queer history and how that has been erased and the abuse that queer creators can face online just for telling their stories. I think we're at an interesting crossroads where we are allowed to be open about queerness, but since we are just at the beginning stages of that sort of liberated form of storytelling, we are prone to policing queer experiences and identities and the Mm. ones that do get a platform and go into the mainstream, as we call it. Um, So it's, it's just... It breaks my heart because there are so many queer creators that, you know, people say that's not happening, but it is. There are a bunch of silent queer creators. We don't have to get to talk to them individually to prove it. Um, Queer creators that are seeing this happen and that are going, well, I want to make this game about this or I want to make this game about this trauma or exploring my queer identity in this very messy and complicated and nuanced way maybe I just shouldn't do that because it's too scary because I might face even more abuse Mm. and trauma from putting that out into the world and the third thing that I wanted to just quickly touch on is the fact that these experiences are not universal right like I I absolutely acknowledge that this was uncomfortable for some people people who have based stalking and emotional manipulation. But like Steven said, we have a lot of queer creators, you know, putting out art that is in part an exercise to overcome and deal with their traumas and their life experiences and to speak to them. Um, what might be uncomfortable for someone else might actually be rejuvenating and healing for someone else. I saw different people who have experienced harassment, stalking, assault even, talking about how 
seeing this in a game was not only helpful for them in processing their experiences, but also it will be helpful for future people who don't have these experiences yet, who haven't started dating yet, to play this kind of game, see these red flags, see them, you know, portrayed antagonistically and as the wrong things that they are and say, well, maybe I can take this into the real world and my real experiences and identify that more easily. Um, the game portrays Eric as an antagonist in every way. And so, you know, maybe that will help someone out there who might see an Eric in their real life, you know, cross paths with them to identify, hey, this is the person that I should not be engaging with, that I should try my best to avoid you know having an actual relationship with um even if it's portrayed as normal in other media now i know because of this game that this isn't the right way to date this isn't how you treat someone you actually care about yeah uh i don't know that we have a ton of like big stories left on this list but we are um running pretty long here so we might want to get to what we have left that's got a lot of meat on the bone Right. Um, Steven, do you have an idea for one? <laughs> uh, the, I think the on I look at this list and I think like one of the big things that has a lot of information is the Destiny 2 Witch Queen stuff. Um, yeah. I don't know, Mike or Kenneth or either of you big Destiny players? Not in a little bit. I've not played Destiny in a very long time. I reviewed okay. it when it came out and <laughs> that was it. Uh, maybe I could talk about that with Merit on a Channel F in the future or something, but uh, short version is uh, that D Bungie had a very big blowout uh, stream that we talked over with um, Fanbyte guide writer Colin McGregor over on um, twitch.tv slash Fanbyte. The archive is on youtube.com slash Fanbyte. But yeah, they had a big uh, blowout for their next major paid expansion, which uh, has been delayed until next year. I think it's February. Yeah. Uh, called The Witch Queen, where... A uh, big major antagonist that has been in the shadows for a long time. Savathun um, is the going to show up, apparently. Or she has already shown up in the game. I was going to say, is she the tall lady? I'm seeing a lot of chatter about yes. tall ladies. <laughs> yeah. That's the only thing I know about the witch queen. <laughs> We're still living in that. Um, the, the joke is not, play, not the joke. The the heat has not died down on that, I guess. Because, uh, yeah, uh, people did say that she's 21 feet tall. Um, I think the big talking points on this one is that Savathun is fictionally Savathun is there. There's going to be like a new location to raid. Uh, the big thing is that the game is adding enemy guardians for you to fight. Like the mm -hmm. player characters in Destiny are called oh, guardians. Mm -hmm. That's, that's yes. what who, the people who have magic powers. Um, and Savathun is going to be like summoning an army of those characters that have like the same powers as the player characters to hunt you and stuff and there was a little bit of talk Merritt and I had uh, talked a little bit because um, Warframe a game that is very much like Destiny in a lot of ways and very much unlike it and some has a nemesis system and we had kind of joked initially a few days ago like what if Destiny also added a nemesis system and now we're like wondering damn are they actually going to do that is that mm. what's going on here um, so that'll be out um, we're, we've got a long road ahead of us before then because it got delayed so long so this Destiny's broken up into four seasons a year and they're usually um, three mm. months long this season is going to be five or six months long so wow a lot of stuff for a lot of time for them to try and fill until that next expansion so I'll be, I'll be curious about that but yeah new season new expansion um, mm -hmm. new weapon type kind of, kind of cool stuff if you care about Destiny how 
how do you feel about it as an individual Destiny player? Because like Destiny gets into a lot of controversies with its community. Its community is yeah. always un you know unhappy about something. But yesterday, I felt like I saw every Destiny player on my timeline was like universally pleased with this it was like the first destiny thing in a while that i've been <laughs> like oh it doesn't seem like major pockets of people are upset about a thing yeah th this is always the cycle with destiny um mm -hmm. this is the thing that we, we talked about before this announcement the the trailer i will say just straight up looks great um yeah a lot of very exciting very easy to get lost in the moment get lost in the hype bungie cuts a good trailer uh following up on that is much more difficult for that team, <laughs> it seems, a lot of the time. Uh, there's a running joke in uh, Discord uh, chat that uh, the Destiny players of fanbyte.com have uh, about how every, and it's not even a running joke, it's just literally fact, every single time that Bungie puts out like a, a developer diary, like a vid doc type thing, um, there's always a line in there where just like, where they're saying like, this is the foundation of the of what's to come, where we're really going to blow things out. It's like, De Bungie has a, a long, long track record of con consistently moving the goalpost of saying like oh the the next big expansion that's the one that's really gonna be cool this this one here this one's cool it's it's got like but it's a foundational update and the next thing in the future of destiny is looking bright the just one expansion away and then you get to that next expansion and then they just say the exact same rigmarole all over again um <laughs> yeah. and it tends to be true um beyond light was a bit of a disappointment for me personally that was their last paid expansion uh shadow keep mm -hmm. definitely disappointed a lot of people before that um I'm, so I'm, I'm just always like impressed that um like uh, that they literally vaulted content yep and and the entire player base didn't just revolt completely it's wild yeah, it's it's very strange because like the last so the last time that Bungie put out one of these ex major paid expansions, there was also that also got delayed by I, I think a less of a delay, and so there was a huge gap of time there where there was nothing new coming out into Destiny, but all of this content was going away. So in the months leading up to that. I was like, wow, okay, well, there's all this old content that I never got around to, and they're literally taking it out of the game, so I might as well chew through that. That was like my favorite couple of months of Destiny in a long time, and now all that stuff is gone. And now we've got an even longer delay before the next major paid expansion, and none of that old content is there to kind of chew through. So I'm very curious what, like, what this drought, this content drought is going to look like, or if, if there is one at all. Maybe they've got like a bunch of tricks up their sleeve, but it's very easy to believe that with, with Destiny, because again, they cut a good trailer, and then you cut forward to a month and a half later, and it's like kind of just running on empty already. Um, but yeah, like the lack of, uh, like all the vaulted content, there was a funny uh, tweet from the How Long to Beat official Twitter account recently uh, mm -hmm. where they will just sometimes tweet out like, oh, this is how long it takes to beat the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild for the average player. This is how long it takes to beat Persona 5. They put out a thing that was like, this is how long it takes to beat Destiny 2, about 12 hours. But that is based on a campaign that is no longer playable in Destiny because they took out the story campaign of Destiny <laughs> 2. <laughs> and so people were like, what? <laughs> like, what do you mean it takes 12 hours to beat? Like, that content is not there anymore. And it is felt sometimes in Destiny. You you can definitely feel the lack of stuff to do right now. Mm, got it. Well, I'm glad that that ex that reveal just seemed like it pleased a lot of people. I think 
Bungie is always at odds with its community. It's it's a very passionate community, but it's uh, that passion is a double edged sword. All it um, takes is one trailer. Uh, Destiny fans will just fucking <laughs> do a one eighty immediately trailer with the tall lady. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah! Mm-hmm. No, I I'm super. It, it's always a game that I. I go back and forth on on wanting to play. I played the beta of the first one and I really loved it. And then I never played anything Destiny ever again. Um, but I just, I like observing communities. I like seeing the passion of the Destiny community. Sometimes it's a little, a little much. Sometimes it's, you know, like yesterday, it was a nice thing to see on my timeline. Um, I think we should be wrapping it up, but just for uh, some like small breaking news, Horizon Forbidden West has been officially revealed to be coming on February 18th, 2022. Uh, that was just revealed at Gamescom opening night live. Um, other release dates coming up September 8th, the Final Fantasy IV Pixel remaster launches for mobile devices and PC. Um, the font still sucks, but I hear the remastered music slaps final <laughs> fantasy 4 is good and if you are into final fantasy 14 or you are in the process of getting into it final fantasy 4 might be one that you will want to play and walker the upcoming expansion oh. will be taking a lot of influence from that game just as Shadowbringers took a lot of influence from influence from uh final fantasy 8 which is objectively a good final fantasy um (laughs) let's see what else fantasian part 2 was released earlier this month uh we talked about that when the first part came out uh that was a while ago so you will have to search a little through the 99 potions catalog but we do have an episode talking about fantasian which um is developed by Mistwalker, uh, Nobu Amatsu, uh, you know, created the music, uh, Sakaguchi-san, who uh, created Final Fantasy, uh, is the, you know, director on that game. Uh, in total, the RPG is now more than 40 hours long. I hear it is a great time. The second part is more focused on side quests and world building than the first one, but it seems that together they make a pretty good package i've from the few people that have managed to finish that who are playing it on the phone and have stuck long enough with it i hear that it's very good um i wonder if we will yeah i wonder if we will ever see it on console um because it it seems like one that i would i I really wanted to keep playing it i just other things come up especially when your job is to play games and write about them Mm -hmm. other things you know come up all the time and sometimes it's hard to stay on that wagon even if you want to uh let's see uh we reported on xenoblade 3 xenoblade chronicles 3 i believe oh yeah imran we can probably talk more about that when imran is here yeah yeah. when imran is here we reported on that the fact that it is happening um it's in the works uh so be sure to read that at fanbyte.com um and I think there are other small things that we could have hit, like Cyberpunk 2077 getting speaking of small things, a new patch. Yeah, Ooh. small small things. A, a new patch with some uh, free, very light DLCs. Um, you know, uh, EA stating that Mass Effect Legendary Edition sold well above expectations. I I'm not surprised. I 
I'm wondering how high those expectations were because I would have had extremely high ones. Yeah, um, yeah, usually can. does. Oh. Yeah. Uh, also, yeah. Uh, The Witcher: Nightmare of the Wolf, the animated film, yeah, that came like out gonna... today. Oh, that's out today. Is it a movie or it's out? Show? Wasn't it it's yesterday? A movie. Okay. Oh, huh. did you watch it already, Mike? I have not. I I I did uh, Evangelion's final film. Ah, uh, yes, I I really want to watch that, but that would require rewatching the entire anime and all the other movies that I saw like ten years ago or something. So I'm like, uh, I don't want to. You big Witcher uh, guy, Kenneth? Not even a little bit. Oh, not even a little bit. Okay. No. <laughs> so, <laughs> the way you asked, like, wait, it's a movie. I thought you were disappointed for a second. No, it just like it's occurred to me. Like I was, and I wrote a news piece about that, and I thought that's something I probably knew, but like forgot. And so the, just the, the old information was surprising to me. <laughs> oh, sure. If okay. it helps, um, the starring character Vazimir is like an old man in The Witcher 3, but like he's really hot in the anime. I did notice that. I, I did take a mental yeah. note of that. Yeah. yeah so, so maybe that, that will be the thing. Maybe this, this is Kenneth's entry. It's yeah. time. Yeah. I mean, I haven't watched, I haven't even watched the other Netflix show with Henry Cavill in it. And that's, that's like, Again, like these things are speaking to me. They are speaking to me directly. And here I am, have not watched any of them. I'm in the middle of watching Evangelion for the first time. So like, I can't, I don't have time for Witcher right now. <laughs> you don't. Yeah, that's that's a lot. But be sure to get to Witcher 3 someday. It's oh, I played that game. game that's why I, oh, that's why I'm not okay. a Witcher person. Ooh, oh, okay. Ooh, that is a different spicy. episode. We should move on. Well, we should wrap that up, friends. Uh, on that not controversial statement. Thank you so much Hold to Witcher. We, we, have, we have one thing. One thing before we before we yes. wrap up. Uh, we did, did have one story that came out uh, that Dorian Pavis is apparently the least romance character in Dragon Age Inquisition, and um, having no taste is a symptom of the coronavirus. So please go get your vaccine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is so true. That is so true. Um, Dorian is. Wonderful, one of the best characters in all of Dragon Age. Y'all are fools, um, but also I would never play a man. Honestly, like so. I mean, I, I just made a joke, but like that, that is an interesting story to me in terms of like that, what that <laughs> yeah. says about the demographics of yes. Dragon Age, and like, like and like also like how the people you surround yourself with might give you a, like a skewed vision of like what the larger, uh, I guess like the larger yes. audience is of something. I will like say, if I- you ask. Mm-hmm. I bet a lot of people play women in Dragon Age too. Yeah. I think that, and like he's one of the only dry, uh, Bioware characters ever that is just like a purely gay man. Yeah. Yep. 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 I was gonna say, um, yeah. If you ask my social circle, uh, Femshep played by ninety nine percent of people. Dorian, one of the most popular romances, along with Solace. Solace is actually a popular romance. Um, yeah it it, it all depends on yeah it all depends on your social circle Um, and I am happy to have done this episode with this particular social circle (laughs) the witcher likers and the witcher non-likers alike thank you so much for coming on everyone Um, Ken let's start with you Um, I promise to not tell you you're the other guy. Ken, you will need this. <laughs> I will what, need this. Uh, Where can people find you and your wonderful opinions <laughs> and self on Twitter? Uh, at ShepherdCDR. You can also Hell find yeah. you can also find my other podcast, Normandy FM, where we're talking about Final Fantasy X for this season um, at Normandy <laughs> FM Show on Twitter. New episodes every yes. other week on Wednesdays. You might hear yes. some people on this present podcast on it pretty soon. 
Yes, please listen to it. I have guested many an episode and it is a wonderful retrospective podcast series that has looked into series like The Last of Us, um, Final Fantasy X now, uh, before that it was... I'm blanking out. Mass Effect. Mass Effect and Dragon <laughs> Age. Mass Effect and Dragon Age. You know, the the names that have influenced the podcast to begin with. Um, and also, please, check Kenneth's cover story on oh, yeah. Mass Effect and queerness. Our very first cover story was published earlier this month. And Ken had the deserved honor of being its first writer. And... Um, I edited it with uh, Elise Favis, known bully at fanbite.com. And I just have to say it is an incredible piece. Uh, Steven, where can people find you? On Twitter at, at Steven Strom, S-T-E-V-E-N-S-T-R-O-M. Yes, thank you. Mike, hello, who has newly joined fanbite.com. Where can we find you? You can find me every day on Twitter at automaticzenzen. Yes, you can find our producer, Jordan Mallory, at Jordan underscore Mallory on Twitter. Uh, he is wrestling with some technical issues that we had during this episode. Bless his heart. Thank you. And always thank your podcast producers. And you can find me at Twitter at Hardy Mesia. That's hard I-M-E-C-I-A, where I won't be having mic issues because that's how it goes. Um, and yeah, so I guess let's do we we undid our horrible tradition that we had before god bless so now yes god bless now we just saddle up to the bar and cork a, a little bottle of potion and we go plink <laughs>